Open your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. What a joy to be here in your church again, on purpose or by accident. I'm glad to be in this place. And if I lived up in this direction, this is the church I would want to be a part of. Now, Lori and I, are we are uh, officially living in the South during the winter. They have a term for that. They're called snowbirds. And uh, those terms are not just randomly thrown out there. They, I've learned some things being in the South. They, uh, they call northerners that come south for a few weeks, they call them snowflakes. <laughs> and then northerners that come and stay for a few months are referred to as snowbirds. And then you have northerners that come down and they are called frogs because they are northerners that come down and they stay till they croak. <laughs> so right now we're in the between stage there. But I'm glad to be here and I, I love this church. I love your pastor and I agree with him. I love the music in this church and I love the way you people love one another and love God. And take good care of your properties. I don't know that I've been in many churches if any, that keep their buildings as clean as yours. And I'm not, that's not a requirement, I understand. But, you know, when you're a neat freak, you take notice of those things. And it's nice to, to go in a bathroom that looks like it's the first time anyone's ever been in there. Hallelujah. And so, well, I know that'll bring revival. Matthew chapter 28. <laughs> Missions is the heartbeat of the church. And when the heart stops, the church will soon die. That doesn't mean that the church will cease to assemble. There's a lot of churches that are assembling today, but they're dead. You know how we know that? There's no life change in there. There's no souls being converted. You read about those kind of churches in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus, speaking of his church, not those churches that out there that don't preach the gospel. His church. He's standing on the outside of his church knocking. And he's knocking on the door. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if any man will let me in. That's a good verse to share Christ with to an unsaved person, but don't miss what it's speaking about. He's talking about the local New Testament church that is so well organized and so well put together that they can have church services and operate a church without the presence or the power of God. And the sad thing is many churches are impressed with it and actually enjoy it. We are left here for a purpose, class, and that is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. This church is not in existence for your personal encouragement or for your personal enjoyment or your personal enrichment or your personal advancement or enlargement. It's not a place just for worship and praise. It's, as my dad used to say, so often the church is basically a place for hatch, match, and dispatch where babies are born and people are married and buried. The church has a purpose, and that is to make disciples 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've asked several in the room to read selected verses of Scripture. And so since they're going to read aloud for us, how about all of us just standing together? And then I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 28, a very familiar passage of Scripture. And let me ask someone to read this morning Mark 16, 15, good and loud. Luke 24, 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. John chapter 20, verse 21. And of course, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I want to read from Matthew chapter 28, and you look down to verse number 19, read silently as I read aloud. Go ye, this is Jesus speaking, and he is speaking to his church. Go ye, that word ye is plural. If he is speaking to an individual, he would have said go thee. But he said, go ye, he's saying to everyone that's in the church of the living God, you have a responsibility here, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of of the world. Amen. Someone asks, why do you say amen in your preaching and while you're sitting in church? Well, there's one good reason right there. Jesus said amen. That's good enough for me. So let's pray and ask God to bless the message. Father, I'm going to do the best I can to teach and preach a little bit this morning from your word in a, one of my favorite kind of meetings to be in, and that is a missions conference. Would you remind and refresh in the hearts of this dear church why we do what we do when we send our missionaries around the world, why we give sacrificially, why we pray for our missionaries and pray for our neighbors and pray for our family and our co-workers so that we can make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, would you bless the preaching of your word and for that soul that's one heartbeat from a devil's hell. I pray that they'd be saved today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Five times we have just read what we refer to as the Great Commission. The Lord Jesus Christ gave an assignment to his church. When he ascended into heaven, his physical presence is going to be gone. And so he assembled a, a group of believers and he said, this will be my body now. My earthly body has been transformed and it's gone to heaven, but I'm still going to have an earthly body. It's going to be visible. It can be touched. It can be heard. It can be seen. And it's called the church of the living God. And that body is going to go into all the world 
and preach the gospel. I don't know if you noticed it, but in, it, it, God gives some promises to churches that are involved in the Great Commission. In Matthew, he promises his presence. In Mark, he promises his protection. In Luke, he promises his program. In John, he promises his peace. In Acts, he promises his power. And I suggest to you and remind those of you that have been saved for decades that if you want to personally experience the presence of God, the protection of God, the plans from God, the peace of God, and the power of God in your life, in your home, and in your church, you'll be involved in the Great Commission. These words were spoken over 2,000 years ago, and yet they're as relevant today as they've ever been. Now, why do we call it the Great Commission? I'm going to give you several thoughts this morning on why we call the Great Commission the purpose of the church. Why we call it the Great Commission. Or, why is the Great Commission so great? Well, let me give you a suggestion number one. Because of the magnitude of the job. Think of it. When the Lord Jesus Christ gave this very first church... They only had 120 members. When he gave them that commission, they had just a church of 120 people, yet they were to go into an, all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Impossible, some might have thought. But with God, all things are possible. And we read a few chapters later in Acts chapter 17, these that have turned the world upside down. And I want to tell you today, I'm praying that God will send revival to his church, maybe even here in Marion, Iowa, that this church would get on fire for Jesus Christ like the church in the book of Acts and be consumed with the Great Commission. I'm telling you, it's, it's great because of the magnitude of the job. I, I Googled Marion, Iowa. I was surprised to even find it. When you're from the big city, you don't know anything else exists. Quite frankly, when you get out here in the country, you wish you were out here, hallelujah. Abraham was looking for a country not made with hands. I have a hunch heaven's going to resemble country living. When I looked up, the internet, we found that Marion, Iowa has about 42,000 people. Now, if you're a pastor, or just say this generation of Christians, if you hung out together for the next 40 years, one generation, you would need to win 1,050 people to Christ every year just to reach this city. Lynn County has about 239,000. This body of believers would need to work diligently for the next 40 years to win just under 6,000 people a year to win your county. If you endeavored out to try to reach your state, the state of Iowa, you have approximately 3.1 million citizens in your state. And for this church, Gospel Light Baptist Church, you would need to reach 77,000 
500 people every year for the next 44 or next 40 years. Good night. Think of America. 330 million and a world with 7 billion people. Are you listening to me? We have a big job to do. And yet God expects you to, to reach the world with the gospel. That's why we need missionaries. That's why the last time I was here, to, uh, the first time I was here for a missions conference, got to hear Brother Robles. I want to tell you, he's a fine young man. I don't know if he, are you out of this church? Almost. Almost. <laughs> you ought to reconsider it, brother. It's a good church to be out of. Last time I was here, I thought, I like that guy. And we need more of him. We're not going to reach the world without missionaries. Missionaries are not second-class preachers. You can't fulfill the Great Commission without them. We need missionaries that will go and represent Gospel Light Baptist Church to the regions beyond Marion, Iowa. You have an assignment to be a witness both here in your Jerusalem and in the regions beyond which you live at the same time simultaneously. And missionaries are needed to do so. It's a good thing God didn't call me to be a missionary. I have a little sarcastic streak in my life, a little mischievous attitude from time to time. I think if I were a missionary, I'd form a union. <laughs> you want me to come there? How much are you offering support a month? I mean, you need to raise the wages. You get, ra you get a raise in pay, and yet you tip a missionary as if he's a second-class preacher? Oh, my, I'd have a standard of living increase every year. I, I'd run it like a union, folks. You know why? Because we have you, we have the barrel over your head. You can't obey Jesus without missionaries. Now, I'm teasing. But I do want you to understand the value of the missionaries that you have. The Great Commission is great because of the magnitude of the job. Spurgeon said, it's the whole business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. It's great because of the magnitude of the job. Secondly, it's great because of the meaning of the responsibility. If we don't tell others about Christ, if they die without Christ, they're going to hell. How many of you really believe that? That if a person that does not get saved, converted from their sin, born of the Spirit of God, that person is without hope. And when they take their last breath on this planet, they'll end up in the regions of the damned, in a place the Bible calls hell. How many of you really believe that this morning? Now, am I exaggerating to say hell is described in the Bible as a place of torment? True or false? 
what I understand from the scriptures, hell is a place of fire. Separation. Eternal. Thirst. Memory. Pain. No second chance. And if that place really exists, you would think God's people would love the population of the world like Jesus does. I'm saying today that the Great Commission is great because of the meaning of the responsibility. If we don't go, people will die and go to hell. There is no plan B. The Great Commission is God's plan to redeem man from their sin. And if we don't go, you mark it down. Revelation 2 and 3 is very clear about this. God will remove your candlestick, meaning he will remove his own presence from this church. You may continue to assemble and enjoy one another's company, and it will become nothing more than a Baptist social club. And you will pat yourself on the back because you cross your T's and dot your I's. But if we're not involved in the Great Commission, God has no time to waste on a church like that. I'm saying the Great Commission is great because of the magnitude of the job and because of the meaning of the responsibility. Thirdly, the Great Commission is great because of the message of the gospel. Folks, we got the greatest story there is to tell anywhere. I had open heart surgery when I was 49 years old. And I know some of you can hardly believe that I'm even over 49 years old. I mean, your pastor and I, we both look like twins, teenage twins at this time in our life. But when I was 49 years old, I had open heart surgery and Typically speaking, I can't stay up late at night. I'm not a night owl. I like to go to bed early and get up early. But after I had open heart surgery, I, my whole life was out of kilter, and I was staying up at nights. And, and so it, I would sometimes watch television at night, and, man, I was amazed at all the what I learned later was infomercials. I didn't even know what an infomercial was until I had heart surgery. And that's just a big, you think commercials are long in during programs. An infomercial is a 30-minute commercial. And some can go as long as an hour. And, man, it amazed me. They have a product. They have pills. They have, they have a product for every problem you have in your life. And one night I saw they were advertising uh, some type of um, a group for men so that they could grow hair on their head. And it was, it was hilarious to me. They, they, they were showing these men weeping and crying how horrible they felt and, and just no self-confidence and no self-esteem because they, they didn't have any hair on their head. And, and then they found out about this group of guys that could grow hair on their head and wow, now they feel like a man and wow, now they, 
They, uh, they have so much self-esteem, and they showed all the girls that were just chasing them around the block. And I thought, it's probably not a good thing for me, hallelujah, <laughs> not as a preacher. And it was just hilarious to me how they, they can't stay on TV very long unless they're selling that stuff. They had creams and lotions that can remove wrinkles. They can change the color of your hair if you have been knee. I mean, they had products with a message that would grip the hearts of some listeners. And I thought to myself, I got a better message than that. Here's my message. I was born a sinner. I realized that as a young boy. And because of my sin, I would never be fulfilled in this life. But worse than that, because of my sin, when I take my last breath in this life, I have no hope of a place called heaven. Whatever you want to call it, eternal bliss, living with God. I'm just using the Bible word, heaven. And if I die with the sin that I was born with, the sin nature and the accumulative sins of my life, I have no hope, but I'm going to spend eternity in hell. Now, most people don't like to hear that part of the message, but don't tune me out. Don't push the clicker too soon because I've got good news. The good news is Jesus Christ came into this world to die for my sin. You say, what's so special about Jesus? Well, if you don't know him, I can understand that question. But Jesus was God in the flesh. He wasn't just a nice guy like the pastor of this church and the distinguished guest that he has preaching for you this morning. He wasn't just a nice guy. Jesus was God. And that's why it was imperative that he was born of a virgin because Jesus was not produced by an earthling, not by his earthly father, Joseph. The seed that was implanted into the Virgin Mary was from God himself. And God became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could see and know God. Then Jesus lived a sinless life. What would you expect from God? He went in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, tempted of the wicked one. He didn't go in to see if he would sin. He went in to show you and me he cannot sin. He's God. You say, well, that's not fair. Oh, man, you've been watching way too much TV. What are you talking about, not fair? Well, then he doesn't understand. No, you don't understand. You come to conclusions way too quick. His flesh had desires like you and I. But because he was God, he did not fulfill and satisfy the desires of his flesh sinfully or wrongfully or against his father's will. Because he was God, he was able to control 
the desires of his flesh so as not to sin against God. And that's a good thing because when I got saved, Jesus Christ moved into my life. And the truth of the matter is, I still struggle with sin today. And you look at me as an old man and say, I didn't know old people struggled with sin. Oh, yes, they do. I, I used to think that. In fact, I was hoping that. I thought when I'd get my Social Security card and my Medicare card, all the sinful temptations would depart with me. Oh, no, as long as I'm in this flesh, this flesh is going to be tempted to sin. And the only hope of victory of conquering sin is because Jesus Christ lives within me. That's why the good book says, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And we resist the devil with the word of God, which, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. And you learn that from Jesus' experience. He resisted the devil by quoting the word of God. And it wasn't just quoting the word of God. He lived the word of God. He obeyed it. We have a great message. Christ came and died for our sins. The sinless one for sinners. Nobody took his life. He gave his life. He willingly laid it down. And in hell, the demons were rejoicing. The Roman government was thrilled to get rid of this nuisance to society. The religious leaders of the day, they were so glad to remove their competition Three days later, Jesus said, I'll take those keys, please. The keys of death, hell, and the grave. And up from the grave he arose, hallelujah. Like a mighty triumph o'er his foes, he arose a victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose I want to tell you when you're a sinner with no hope and you're introduced to Jesus Christ the hope of the world that my sins can be forgiven that my sins were paid for at Calvary that I can be justified just as if I never sinned when the judge of heaven looks at the accusation against me and he says innocent guiltless and I'm permitted into the city of God Whew. that's a pretty good message I don't care if you have a full head of hair or no hair at all if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior you have no hope the good book says what shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world the whole of anything you want, the whole head of hair, the whole set of muscles, the whole set of friends, whatever it is you're seeking for today, what shall it profit you if you gain it all and lose your own soul? Folks, I want to tell you, we have the greatest message, and I suggest to you that's why the Great Commission is so great. Fourthly, it's great because of the motivation of love. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8 says, ah, But he commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Behold, what manner of love that we should be called the sons of God. God loves you. Now, if you die and go to hell, you're not going to blame God. He loves you so much that not only did he pay that price, he's talking to you right here, right now. And I want to remind this good church, when you love God, you will go soul winning, as we heard taught so well in Sunday school. If you love God, you'll give sacrificially and abundantly to missions. You say, well, that's your opinion. You're just trying to get my money. There you go again. You're prejudging me. You're jumping to conclusions you know not whereof you speak. I'll read what God says. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know what he's saying? You spend your money, time, and energy on the things you love. Corinthians says, wherefore show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your Love. And he's talking about giving. I'm just saying today, when you love God, you can't help but obey God. You can't help but spend yourself on God. That's what we do. You love your grandchildren, you spend on them. You wouldn't get up in the middle of the night now for your grown children. You just call 911 let me know how it goes. But if it's that grandchild, you, you know what I'm saying? Otherwise, we, we will spend ourselves on those things that we love. That's why we give to faith promise. That's why I have three members in my church that tithe, they give to faith promise, and then in addition to that, they work a part-time job. They work a part-time job. And every penny they make from the part-time job, from the gross amount, so they actually give more than they receive because they lose what they take out for FICA. Everything that they make from their part-time job, in addition to their faith promise, they give to missions. I don't. I'm just saying there's three members in my church that do that. And I found out one, and I asked him, I said, why do you do that? Why don't you just raise your faith promise? This was his reply. Preacher, I've always wanted to be a missionary, and I can't. And he can't. Not a foreign missionary. He said, but I want to give God a piece of my life. 
And every time I go to work, my part-time job, I'm devoting that piece of my life to missions. And when I feel like quitting, I'm thinking, I don't want my missionaries to quit. Wow. So when I'm watching Monday Night Football, he's working a part-time job to give up and above his tithe, up and above his faith promise. I would suggest to you that man loves God. I would suggest to you that man loves souls. That's the proof of his love. The Great Commission is great because of the magnitude of the job, because of the meaning of the responsibility, because of the message of the gospel, because of the motivation of love. And then fifthly, it's great because of the miracle of the new birth. I, I love the Sunday school lesson today, and I'm trying not to re-preach it, brother. It's just, but that just hit a chord with me today. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. I'm telling you, there's no greater thrill in this life, if you're a believer, than winning another soul to Christ. There isn't any. And I've had a lot of thrills in my life. But I'm telling you, the thrill that exceeds all of them is winning another soul to Christ. The closest thing I can liken it to is is bringing home another newborn baby. There's just some, a thrill. And of course, we have a family here that's all excited. Uh, uh, is gender reveal. Am I allowed to say that in church? Okay, gender reveal. I, I hope the child is okay with what you revealed it to be. <laughs> because this generation's struggling on that kind of nonsense. But um, you're right, whatever. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't joke about stuff like that because our world is perverted. But that should motivate us that much more to tell others about Christ. Don't you know they're just twisting everything, trying to find something that will make them happy. And if I'm a man and I'm not happy, I'll try being a woman. And if I'm a woman trying to be happy and can't, I'll try to be a man. Why don't you just try God? Amen. Just try God. The miracle of the new birth is just incredible. I mean, to see people get saved, I can tell story after story, and I don't have the time to do so. I think of the Haitian family that came to our church. Don't you know in the metropolitan area of Chicago, we have the world moving to us. Haitia, or Haiti needs missionaries. And you heard the story of 17 of them that said, pray for us. Why? They're kidnapped. And so when, we, when the missionary stands here and says, we need your prayers, those aren't just vain words. They need our prayers. They need our money. They need our encouragement. But let's don't forget the prayers. We have a Haitian family came to our church and 
visited our church, and Lori and I went to their home. They're, they are just newly uh, uh, citizens of America and so thankful to be in America and got their citizenship and got a job. And in their house, they had a dining room table with, I think, four, maybe five chairs and no other furniture in the house. Just starting out, working several jobs. Today, he owns a half a dozen homes and rents them out. That's been 15 years ago, but my first visit with him went into his home, and he is just such a, a pleasant young man, and he had four children, and I remember sitting at their home table, and we chatted a bit, and finally, I, I said, could I just share with you a message? I'd like to I'd like to show you that Jesus Christ loves you and he wants to save your family. Is that okay with you? And yes, pastor. And I spoke to Gene, the dad of the family, and went through the Romans road. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of that, the wages of sin is death. We're doomed to hell. But Christ loves us. The, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why he commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Gene, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? Sitting there at the dining room table with such manners and, and such respect for the man of God. He, yes, sir. Well, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's just like that. He bowed his head and prayed a prayer, receiving Christ as his Savior. I looked at his wife, and really, I was more concerned that maybe Gene didn't catch it all because that was almost too easy. So I looked at his wife, and I said, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? She said, yes, I would. And so I repeated the whole Romans road again, more for Jean's sake than even hers. I don't know why, but shared it again. I said, do you believe that? She said, yes. I said, would you like to be saved? She said, yes. And right there with tears in her eyes, she prayed and asked Jesus to save her. I looked at their oldest boy thinking, wow, I wonder if they're catching this teenage boy, eyeball to eyeball. I asked him if he'd like to be saved. He said yes. So for the third time, I repeated the gospel story in Romans, and they all heard it again, and their oldest boy trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Then the second-born son, same thing. Yes, I'd like to be saved. Repeated it for the fourth time. I mean, we were on a roll. When you've got fruit to pick, that's a joyous night. And then I looked at their little 10-year-old girl. She was the cutest thing in the world. I said, would you like to get saved? She said, I already am. I said, well, when did you get saved? At your church. Well, when? At Awana a couple weeks ago. That whole family were baptized together in the church of the living God. I want to tell you, the miracle of the new birth is a 
is a miracle. And when you lead souls to Christ, and when you get to hear those that are saved on the mission field, I'm telling you, that's as Tony the Tiger used to say, great. <laughs> it's the great commission. There was an elderly lady in New York City in the 1800s before the prosperity of America was realized. She made her living by washing clothes. Her name was Sophie, Sophie the scrub woman. And she was a friendly lady and sat out on the street collecting laundry and chatted with people and everyone that would stop for a moment she'd tell them about Jesus Christ she did that for years and as she got older her eyesight failed her and of course her body is getting weaker and one day as she was walking down the street she was seen standing in front of a cigar store and there is a wooden Indian standing out front she bumped into that wooden Indian and said, excuse me, and started witnessing to that wooden Indian, telling him about Jesus. And a couple of men walked by and started laughing. And she rebuked them. Why, why are you laughing at such an important message? I'm speaking of the message of God. And they said, ma'am, we're not laughing at, at the message. We're laughing at who you're talking to. We know Jesus, We're, we know God, but we would never stop and talk to a wooden Indian. She said, well, I didn't know I was talking to a wooden Indian. But quite frankly, I'd rather be guilty of speaking to a wooden Indian about Christ than being a wooden Christian and not speaking to anybody about Christ. We have a great commission, folks. And whether we realize it or not, until the church humbles herself and prays, let's pause there. Before Jesus ever said, go ye, before he ever commanded us to give ye, he said, pray ye. Isn't that what he said? In the context of missions, the fields are white, the world needs Jesus, souls are broken, they're lost, pray ye. And until we really pray and ask God what we should give, we'll likely tip God. We'll tip God with pocket change and spare time. And that's why our churches don't experience revival. We're going to have revival in our churches. Andrew Murray said, there must be a revival of prayer before the church becomes a missions church. I suggest to you that the Great Commission is great because of the magnitude and the meaning and the message and the motivation and the miracle. How are you involved? Are you involved in giving to missions? Well, preacher, I don't make much. 
you probably have more than a penny, do you not? The greatest, the greatest gift in all the Bible was two mites. That's less than a penny. And Jesus recognized those two mites, not because of how much it was, but how much she had left. The amount of your gift is not what the number you write down, but the amount that you keep for yourself. Little is much when God is in it. Do you witness? Hard to believe that you call yourself a follower of Christ and you don't witness. In fact, it might be said it's impossible because Jesus said, follow me. And I, Jesus, will make you a fisher of men. So if we're not fishing, probably not following. Are you praying? Do you know your missionaries by name? You will if you pray for them. Members of my church often ask me, how do you remember everybody's name in the church? Well, I don't have a great memory, but I do pray for you every single week by name. When you pray for someone over and over and over, you tend to remember them. When you pray for your missionaries, you tend to remember them. How many in here would go if God would call you? That's what he asked us to pray for, labors. Here and abroad. And so this morning, since it's the beginning of a missions conference, according to the word of God, it would be right and appropriate for his church to pray about the Great Commission. So this morning, we're going to have a pianist come and play a little music that would be appropriate for prayer. And if you don't mind, let's not sing for a moment. Let's just have music that would be conducive for prayer. And I'm going to ask for every member of this church, and even if you're visiting, and God has spoken to your heart today about world missions, the Great Commission, and how we should be involved, and how we can be more involved, I'm going to ask the entire church, we can all be involved by praying. If you know your missionaries' names that are going to be here this week, come and say a short prayer for them. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your lost family. We could pray all day, quite frankly. But let's just come and pray some for the fields that are white unto harvest. And if you need to be saved today, I'll make my way to the ground level and I'd be glad to show you from the Bible how to be saved today. But don't go to hell. You don't need to go to hell. We got good news. And you can be saved right here, right now. Church, you ready to do the work of God this morning? Prayer is the hardest work I know. Let's stand to our feet, make our way to an altar and kneel before him and do so this morning. You come, Father. Would you bless this dear church and thank you for their friendship, 
their help in our men's advance, for their kindness extended to us. And Father, we're here for a purpose today. We want to glorify you. And we really want to be involved in world missions, what we call the Great Commission. Help this church to do something supernatural this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.